Geek Card presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Padula Neal. It's a wonder he isn't a villain. He's got every excuse. Born to poverty, a broken family, a childhood spent in a squalid slum, hounded and taunted and beaten by schoolyard bullies. To top it all off, he gets struck in the eyes by toxic waste and blinded for life. Blinded, bullied, impoverished, surrounded by calamity. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Jewel O'Neill. And this week, you know, it's like I try to get it in as much as I can. We're talking some Daredevil, and mainly because it was announced in July at San Diego Comic-Con that Daredevil is getting an 18-episode Disney Plus series called Daredevil Born Again, and... Man, like I, I want to celebrate that. Of course, Daredevil Born Again, one of my favorite comic stories of all time, so much so that we have covered it on this show in the past. And I was like, well, maybe there's another great Frank Miller story that they could probably mine some ideas from that will be used in the development of this series. And that made me look towards the Daredevil Man Without Fear miniseries, which came out in 1993 and 94 written by Frank Miller and drawn by John Romita Jr. in a style that it almost feels like a melding of his own style and Frank Miller's. It is a retelling of the origin story uh, of Daredevil. And it's interesting how this came to be. Petula, have you ever read any of the old official Marvel graphic novel series from the 80s and 90s? Maybe. So basically what it was is that when Marvel decided they wanted to do graphic novels, instead of just releasing them, they released them all with these banners that said Marvel graphic novel. So it's like the cover drawing would be in like this black border. And so they all became numbered as well. So like the first appearance of the new mutants was uh, the, I think Marvel graphic novel number four. It was cause that was a big new mutant story and everything. And so that was the way they were bringing stuff out. And that was a format they had and they were developing stories for it. And so in the early 90s, they actually discontinued the uh, the Marvel graphic novel series. And this was after Miller and Ramita had pitched this particular graphic novel. And instead of them just throwing it away, they decided, well, let's bring it out as a miniseries. And so throughout 93 and 94, they brought it out as a big prestige format miniseries with these really amazing embossed covers. They're all black, red, and white and like just beautiful things in a time when comics were gaudy these were very very beautiful comics you think about the early 90s to mid 90s that's when we were getting all the foil embossed covers and the holograms and the you know the rob liefeld big pecs big tits big guns sort of bad, stuff bad feet <laughs> yeah bad no feet you know yeah. so, no necks no feet and so it's like you think about the time it's like almost the comic covers had become almost grotesque in nature in the way they looked. But you have these beautiful looking covers that are just popping out, done with a nice finish, like sitting there on the racks. And you're like, God, I got to read that comic. And it's amazing because they, what they did is they took a graphic novel and chopped it up into five issues. If you read the issues, it just feels like, oh, you've pulled this out of a book. Like it's, they didn't do any extra framing to make them feel like individual issues. So much so that the best way to read the story is in trade because it just reads like a graphic novel. You can't figure out where the chapter breaks are because it's just one fluid story. And it is a really 
amazing in the sense that it shows you where Daredevil came from and hits all the marks that the original character's origin had, but does it in a way that takes the idea of like, no, no, this is a very dark life. This guy is fucked up. He's your hero, but he's not your typical hero because he could become a bad guy at any second. He's just standing on such a thin thread. And this did a really good job of displaying that. He was fated for violence if not darkness and you see his father try you see matt try to evade most likely outcomes Mm. for someone growing up with his circumstances and just failing to resist temptation over and over again yeah but the challenge and what makes him ultimately a more lovable than questionable character is he's equally drawn to self-sacrifice and helping as he is to solving problems with violence. Yeah, yeah. And it's like very much the the two sides of the coin thing that his character has always been, of course, because you got lawyer and vigilante. This really kind of digs deeper and shows that, yeah, it's like the two sides of his brain are at war with each other. That, as you mentioned, he's trying to do things the right way repeatedly, but the temptation to do things the more violent way, the more passionate way, the more like animal-like way, it just invades because that part of his brain is at war with what he believes to be the proper ideals. And yeah, it's, it's most alive and electric when he's dealing with Electra because she's a character in this story who's just gone and embraced the darkness and it's like, listen, don't judge me for this. This is just who I am. And so her journey is all like id. You know, it's like very much like just experiencing it all. Whereas Matt is trying to find rigid reasons to live in. And it really paints the connection that the two have and how they kind of are addicted to one another in such basic terms that you don't need to like have exposition or anything. You could just look at the art and realize it's like, Oh, yes, this woman is like completely free in herself because, you know, the dark path that has been presented for us is going, okay, I'm going to go down and see what happens. Whereas Matt is seduced by darkness, but is also trying to stand on the right side of the light the entire time when he could easily just go down that path as well. Hell of a third date they have. (laughs) It's kind of like second and a half, fourth, depending on if you can't like the street chase or he he talks about her scent a lot. I feel like later on we lean more into the kind of echolocation part of his character yeah. uh, in other books and especially in the more modern stuff. But uh, this is a lot about scent. Listeners, if you're a Bridgerton fan, there's there's a couple of moments in season two of Bridgerton where um, the Anthony character just inhales the Kate character, just, just sniffs like from a just shy of being respectful distance. I feel... I felt that rereading this <laughs> when he just talks about her scent. When he first breaks into her room and is like, her scent is overwhelming. Like I would have not been surprised if he just took a moment to himself in the room. I feel like there's a couple missing panels there. He was like, <laughs> like when he's chasing her by her scent and then she leads him into, you know, a pile of garbage and whatever. And he's like, he seems more upset that not that he lost her, her trail, but that he lost her scent in his nose. And it was briefly obscured by the garbage before he picked up the scent again and was following her on foot. But yeah, their third date or whatever it is, it's not all darkness, right? Like 
rough life, dead, boxer, murder, blah, 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 blah. But there's some hilarious moments in that panel of Foggy coming back into the dorm room and like Foggy side looking like Foggy side, which previously it's like you had the juxtaposition of like Matt being a little more neat and orderly. Obviously, somebody who is, you know, low to no vision. And yes, we know technically he has a different way of seeing, but his room is like very organized the way somebody might have it if they had vision issues in order to make sure that everything right. stays in place and foggy's kind of much like the way he's drawn physically just a little more relaxed yeah, from so, yeah but then to see the juxtaposition later on to like <laughs> he opens the door and that side of the room is busted like i i'm looking at the panel I'm like what did they do like it has nothing on the sort of spoilers for twilight like morning after the wedding night scene there like it is it's a lot yeah 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 dorm room beds we as anybody knows who went to any kind of university dorm room beds are not made to stand up for a lot but this this bed did not stand a chance with the two of them so they got quite a workout there that's that's definitely but also it's like you, you brought up earlier when he broke into electra's family's house and is going around there and of course he's fighting with the guards and stuff like that that kind of like thing that she the entire time in the middle of that party is still continually playing, even though he's throwing down bodyguards and stuff from the rafters and everything like that. And like she, they've landed on the piano and she plays the entire time. It's also showing is that it's like Matt is still trying to figure out who he is where Electra's already got it figured out, you know, the entire time she never stops playing. Cause in her mind, she's like, no, I've made my choice. I'm going to live life and like suck the marrow out of it. And so, yes, I, I, I get the choice of words. Uh, <laughs> whereas Matt is still trying to figure out how to live within society. And, of course, as we know, as, you know, Daredevil goes on, he does find that way to, to live in society. But at this point in his college years, it's kind of at the point where he has the potential to be anything. And it's like we have Stick who trains him as a kid who really wants him to go down that rigid path and become like the sentinel for good so much that he's talking to stone in, in their dark meeting place and everything like that. I've always found it funny that when they look at the, they do the, the origins and stuff, it's like a character like stone who Frank Miller has already introduced. And we know what like people who've read the story, know what he looks like in these flashbacks and stuff. It's almost like he's an otherworldly being. We can't show him. He's just mired in shadow and they have like this clandestine meeting and stuff like that. Usually you don't get that with the good guys, which is what has always kind of made Stick kind of interesting is that Stick wants him to go to the path of the righteous, but his path almost looks just as violent and scary as the dark side. When they talk about him as sort of, you know, one of only two adept that have been born, yada, 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 the and the other one, Electra already having um, succumbed to darker elements, it's again, reminding us that whether or not his childhood and childhood circumstances had reversed themselves in some way, if his father had been able to make different choices, he was always kind of fated for violence. Mm. Yeah. And another thing in this retelling of the origin is that Frank Miller kind of puts down a hard and fast rule on the character that wasn't there before. In the original comics, Battling Jack Murdoch was a fighter who suddenly gets starts getting all these wins after years of like slowly degrading, you know, a guy who's past his prime starts getting all these wins, finds out from the fixer that those have been fixed. And now he wants him to take a dive. He doesn't take the dive and 
of course, he ends up paying for it. And that remains in the comic, but the added element that Frank Miller brought to the story was that because he was a down-on-his-luck boxer and he had to fend for Matt and he wasn't getting as many fights and everything like that, the fixer convinces him to be a you know muscle for him, to go around and collect money from the poorer people in the area for protection and things like that. That element was introduced in this. Now, later on, there's certain comic creators who have ignored it, and there's certain other creators, like the Daredevil TV show for Netflix, they fully ignored it and just made it that he was just a boxer. But that's kind of been an influence that has been throughout the comics and, of course, was a heavy influence in the 2003 film. If you actually look at this story and then look at the 2003 film, there's a lot of elements taken from this story and then done terribly in the 2003 film. <laughs> so this particular miniseries has had a longevity and an influence on the character. Yeah, it's the dad character in this iteration kind of reminded me in a way of, I forget, is the actor David Keith in like the OG Firestarter? Where it's like good dad, bad dad, like tries to keep the kid out of trouble, but then ultimately, well... (laughs) stuff gets lit up yeah it's once again (laughs) kind of a nature versus nurture he's trying to nurture his child to be a man of peace because he doesn't want him to end up like him who all his entire life he's just been using his fists but there's an inherent nature being the son of battling jack murdoch there's a language of violence within matt that when he tries to suppress it it comes out even bigger yeah, it is David Keith, the original Firestar. And I think I always, in my head, when I imagine a live action dad of Matt Murdock, I think of David Keith because he does have sort of like this big kind of, looks like he could be playing an Irish cop kind of face. Mm. Like it's very that. When you read this version, the dad is not as lovable. Like he, he lays hands on Matt and that does affect their relationship. Mm permanently really and it's almost more realistic in that a man in that circumstance raising a child on his own wouldn't have the skills to articulate his feelings like they weren't going for therapy back then (laughs) if your job is punching people legally at night illegally in the daytime having a conversation with your child about how they manage bullies and their reaction to that ironically will likely end in violence and they show the effect of that and how matt seesaws not trying to reference the affleck (laughs) (laughs) affleck and electra Uh, playground scene but how his motivation seesaw between like a strict adherence to the laws and lawful behavior and not so lawful good and uh, i don't know what how would you place the version of matt on a DD alignment chart that accidentally murders a sex worker chaotic not good not neutral like it's chaotic it's found out out later That sex worker was not murdered. That sex worker, of course, near the brink of death, ends up getting a uh, disorder because of it, dissociative disorder, and uh, would eventually come back into Matt's life as Typhoid Mary. So it's like seeing that, though, like that was kind of like a little drop in there that I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's where it all starts. Yeah, it was a little drop. <laughs> 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 she got tossed the 
path out of that. She got yeah. defenestrated like a mother. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah the yeah. idea of this somebody just is an amateur not knowing what he's doing, trying to do what's right, ends up doing wrong, which uh, of course is one of the many things that haunts Matt Murdock because you know he is never truly at peace, and that's one of the uh, one of the the bigger instances where uh, he of course blames himself. Of course, when Typhoid Mary does come back into his life and he does find out that information. Of course, he ends up sleeping with Typhoid Mary because that's Matt. Uh, <laughs> well, he needs to find pleasure and he exerts himself uh, physically often, whether it's by himself, you know, exercising at night, scampering over rooftops or with his lady friends in order to, if not quiet, distract himself from all the noises around him and, and really focuses those senses on what he's doing. I mean, here's the thing. I joke a lot about FBoy Matt, but I get it because under catchphrases, I imagine there are many female comic book characters that would also say that he's the best of what he does. <laughs> Yeah. It's all it's all about the tactile. That's what it is. It's all about the tactile. Yeah. He's in tune with the tactile, yeah. and that's what makes it work. Totally. Oh, man. Now, of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, the artwork is by John Romita Jr. Of course, John Romita Jr., one of the biggest names over the past 40 years in mainstream comics, mostly at Marvel. He did have a stand at DC more recently, but yes, mostly at Marvel. And Daredevil is one of those characters that he's kind of associated with, that it's like he's had iconic moments and iconic runs with the character. Of course, he did a, a number of issues with Anna Senti on her prolific run on Daredevil, and he did this miniseries. Now, what makes this, this miniseries different from his work on the regular series is that it looks like Ramita, but at the same time, looks like the way Miller does Sin City. Mm -hmm. It has that Sin City feel to it. And I think it might have to do with the anchor of the book. I was uh, going to say Electra's Williamson. thighs and shoulders, but sure, that too. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> definitely yeah, definitely the, the imaging, but I think yeah. Al Williamson's inking adds to this. It's almost like he looked at the pages and went, yeah, no, this feels like Sin City. Let me add to that, you know? And so it gives a different feel for a Marvel comic. It doesn't feel like you're standing, even though it is like one of the most like known Marvel guys drawing the book, it doesn't feel like a Marvel comic at all. It feels like something out on the outer rim, you know? My favorite set of panels in accompanying fight scene was actually the Elektra and the gentlemen in the alley mm. moment. So there's nary a mat to be seen, but the way they do her hair. And I think that may be one of the things that if they do another live action Electra, I want just give me all the extensions. Just give me a mix in terms of volume of like the queen from Bridgerton and like the thickness of Melly from Scandal. Like I want yeah. volume, like the hair here that they do on Electra. So it's almost like a part of her costume before she gets her costume. So when she's at home sort of playing Jameer with the glasses, but we can see the flush on her cheeks as she's getting off on like the ultraviolets going around. But in that alley where she's not fully sky clad, but like she she strips down to just her kind of under exercise gear. Mm. And as she allows these men to get close enough to just make it more efficient, <laughs> that scene and the way it's drawn and so the mix of like 
the shadow in her hair. And there's just like a lot of focus on just how she uses different parts of her body to exact the most amount of like pain and inflict the most violence. There's one panel sort of like it, it goes from like a kick to like a knee up into someone. And then it's just it's gorgeous violence and that whole scene and then her sort of her entering the alley in the fur and then leaving in the fur as we see the cops come up like good lord what happened here it's just that was a moment where i was like it also feels like a backdoor pilot to you know giving a lecture her own set of series mm-hmm. and other stuff but it is i would say under girlfriend characters she definitely has a lot more to do yeah, yeah. She yeah. well, as I say, she has her own agency. She has her own path, and it has to do also with the fact that she's embraced who she is. So she's not dependent on anyone else to define her in this story. She's fully defined. Matt's almost the one who hasn't, who's always basically looking at everybody else's ideology, sticks, Electra's, his father's, trying to figure out which one works best for him. And so because of that, you get an extremely strong Electra. And an Electra that's dangerous, which is what you want your Electra to be. You want a dangerous character. And she's the most dangerous in this book, more so than Kingpin and the and the mobsters. She is the wild card. And it is the reverse of the trope where your friends, it's so often shown as like the girlfriends are warning the other girlfriend about the bad boy. It's here you have Foggy being like, that Electra girl. Like, And Foggy doesn't know shit. Like Foggy yeah. doesn't know not even the tip of what she or matt are capable of yeah and he's like nah matt not that one (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, no it's right and then well the one thing we also didn't touch on because again because this book is so much about the characters of matt murdoch and electra and like kind of what makes them tick you almost forget that you've got this really like mature reader storyline of the daredevil is kind of he kind of falls into finding out about a human trafficking ring that he has to save the kids from and like that's just kind of dropped in there you think about a comic in the mid 90s there was no like this is for adults only written on it or anything it's like you picture like a 10 year old kid these days reading this story this was readily available to a 10 year old kid in the mid 90s that it's like oh there you go I can and dark this. they're like oh yeah. 14 she's a bit old for what we were thinking of for our snuff film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like it is it is some pretty hardcore stuff and it kind of just it kind of shows that it's like Matt Murdock's stories have always been on the darker side of the Marvel universe. That that part of the Marvel universe that kind of like popped up in the late 80s and never left. Never left that time period. And so the darker, grislier side, like it takes place in the New York that no longer, they got gentrified in the 90s, you know, it still exists in this world. And because of that, you get, yeah, you get stuff that would now be told, oh, you can't put that in a, in a comic for kids. You can't. And, and like, that was a thing in the mid 90s, the primary, the people that were actually reading the comics and not just collecting them were you were still getting a lot of like teens and tweens picking up this book and these days i don't see marvel ever doing that in a comic that's supposed to be available to them so it's like it is a very risque story that i think can only hold up in a daredevil story like if you had this dark story in the mid 90s and spider-man was the star you'd be like well i can't this doesn't work for me but because it's Daredevil, it's sort of like, yeah, it would be that dark. Daredevil is kind of just inherently attracted to the worst parts of society. He's not just stopping muggers. He's not just stopping like weapons dealers. He's stopping 
vile human filth. And dispatches of them with a balletic violence that is, it's beautiful the way they draw some of these scenes. And the rescue of, uh, he did set the rest of the children free, did he not? Or did he I just. I believe he the set the rest that, of the children free yeah. as well, but they focused on it's the fact that. He's a question mark, yeah. His friend, <laughs> yeah. the child that he was training with. Yeah. Yeah. The rescue of that child, that whole scene was definitely similar in many ways to the hallway fight in season one of the Netflix Daredevil mm. with with our boy Charlie Cox and up to and including the kind of the black bodysuit look with the scarf around the head uh, to cover his uh, beautiful strawberry blonde locks. Uh, yeah. But not that you need the costume when you have the child there screaming, Matt's going to come get me. He can do magic. It's like, <laughs> girl. <laughs> she's a kid. She's afraid. You know, yeah. so she's, she's, it's almost like she's saying that is like, you better watch out. But she's also saying in her head to just continually remind herself that Matt is there. So to give herself hope too. Yeah. And then her hope inspires the other children. There's the creepy chorus moment where sometimes listener, when I'm reading a comic book, there are moments that you hear. And that was one imagining like the, the echoing haunting of children joining together in song in the, in their separate compartments in what essentially is like a, a series of storage containers yeah. for these children that are about to be trafficked. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's hardcore. It's hardcore, but it's a well-crafted tale. You know, again, Frank Miller, his personal choices in life and his later works are all not anything that I'd ever want to promote. But coming back to this older stuff and this particular, the Man Without Fear miniseries that is just like kind of gets to the heart of a very violent man. It's beautiful. It's one of and those. When they bring in Kingpin, it's just perfect. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you're, you're jonesing for some Daredevil before the series comes out next year in 2023, of course, by all means, go read Born Again because that's a great comic. Also very dark, very violent, and very in tune with the language of violence that Matt has to like quell in himself. But also read Daredevil, the Man Without Fear miniseries, because it shows you the deep heart of like what Matt is confronted in his own self, that he is truly his greatest enemy himself. And I wonder if the new series, if they're going to assume you come in with the knowledge of all of the seasons of his show and the Defenders or if they're going to sort of do a soft reboot, whether or not they do, I would almost say you could read this if you just want kind of backstory of the character before that show comes out, if you weren't interested in catching up on many seasons of a Netflix show that you didn't watch. Yeah, because this, yeah, this perfectly lays out the origin, totally. Yeah, it's not, not every character here is exactly the same as it was in the show, but it definitely... It shows how the church affected him growing up. Like you have that great moment as a, as he's a child recovering in the hospital where he gets like a good touch from a nun and like feels the cross yeah. around her neck. Yeah. And, and kind of, it, it does a great job of hinting that, yeah, that's his mother yeah. without saying, Oh, by the way, this is his mother. You know? Yeah. And, and just the, the feel of the cross in his hand is, you know, they linger on that moment, but I got to like the, the final panel. It's just hilarious, but then also beautiful because he, he's scampering over the rooftops after he's sort of established himself after his culmination of the training montage, freeing the traffic children moment saying, you know, the costume was a good idea. I sewed it myself, 
And then it ends with, you know, us seeing him finally in the full regalia, looking like, you know, with the horns and the DD on the chest with the devil and the words coming from inside his head. God only knows what it looks like. And it's yeah. just perfect. Yeah. I howled, but it was also like bittersweet and beautiful. And yeah. Well, that's Daredevil's yeah. charm is that there's moments where he can make like a joke that it's obvious like that's the type of when you see him like that. Oh, that's why women find him charming, you know, sort of mm-hmm. thing. It's like, because the rest of the time, if you were to look at the base of Matt Murdock, it's like, he's a violent, crazy guy. You know what I mean? And it's like, how the hell, aside from his his perfect tactile skills, how does he pick up the ladies in the first place? It's like, oh, because he's also quite charming. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, yeah, it's uh, it's a perfect encapsulation there. And a great way to end off the series. And it's definitely a book that you should check out because it, it reads so well and so fluid and you get very much the feeling of who Matt Murdock is from this book. So definitely check it out. Tula, we've come to the end of another episode of Back Issue Bloodbath. Where can the good folks find you? At Inative.com, on Twitter at Obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-A-T, and here with you. And, of course, you can find everything I do over at geekartshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekart. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath. We post the new episode every week there. But of course, the easiest way is to make sure you subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice so that way you don't miss an episode. And I'm going to be honest with you folks, there's probably be another Daredevil episode coming up anytime I can fit it in. Cause that's, I'm a convert. Uh, I'm a convert. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. That was... F- F-Boy Matt once a month. Let's do it. <laughs> There we go. There we go. <laughs> All righty. Uh, this has been Back to Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Batul Neal. Have yourself a good. <laughs>